everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 525, recording today, Wednesday, the 28th of February, the last day of February, because we haven't got a leap year this year. Is it 29? Yeah, that is right. We have 29 days in a, in a leap year. Never mind. I'm not going to think about it too much. This is a music technology podcast, after all, and we're braving the Siberian chill, uh, which is what's currently uh, sweeping across the nation and uh, further into Europe, where we're getting all sorts of crazy inclement weather. Although we haven't had any snow here, it's been jolly cold, so uh, I've had the heating on. I've got plenty of layers on. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we talk about music technology and weather, of course, when it's uh, pertinent. Music technology, controllers, software, sort of uh, social trends to do with music, live production, live playing, live, all sorts of stuff. So hello and welcome, everybody. How are you doing? want to say hi to the people in uh, the YouTube chat room, which is over there, and also in our IRC chat room. Uh, greeting Siberian Gaz, that says. And that must mean that we have Gaz here with us here as well. But I'm not going to start with him. I'm going to start with Mr. Dave Spears. Uh, once I've said, uh, don't forget, um, Isotope will be giving away a copy of Ozone 8 a little bit later on, probably about halfway through the show. So if you stay tuned, you'll uh, get details on how to win a full copy of Ozone 8. Dave Spears. My God, there's sun coming through the window. What's going on? Have you got some right. kind of sun lamp? Yeah. You, no. You've got a microclimate no. going on, or is that just the, the the nuclear reactor that's sort of overheated because it's powering all your old synths? Yeah, we've got sun, but I can see the snow coming on the horizon. Hang on. Do you want a quick look? I don't know whether you can see this. Probably. Yeah, it's very white out there. <laughs> Look, there's, yeah. there's a lot of snow, isn't That's it? A, is that a nuclear attack? <laughs> it's like a cross between snow and uh, close encounters of the third kind. It's a Spielberg moment there. Uh, Dave Spears, of course, g4software.com. Uh, well, I think he's probably in his home residence or his, uh, his Studio B uh, this morning. Yes. Dave Spears, makers of fine software instruments, g4software.com. How are you, Dave? It's been a very long time. Too long. Yeah, I've been busy, busy, busy. A bit of phone hell, actually. No. God. Oh, man. My iPhone 6. It was weird. I was just doing a couple of emails in the morning, and it just turned off, turned on, turned off, turned on, and just wouldn't stop rebooting. Uh, so that was agony. That was absolute agony. So and I was kind of out of contract, so I thought, oh, what do I do? Do I just go and get And I don't like, I wasn't keen on the iPhone 6. I bought the Mrs. and SE, which I like that small. I was kind of getting RSI with the whole larger handset. So I went and bought an SE and had to go through the O2. Oh, so you, but yeah, oh God, I know all of that stuff. And then well, the worst thing was when I came back, I would did, uh, you know, the backup, because I don't back up to the cloud, I back up to the main Mac. And I did a backup. And somehow a million years ago, I must have opted for an encrypted backup. So it said, we can only do it to this phone if you can remember your password. And three days went by, <laughs> and I was still thinking, what was that password I'd have used with that 3G iPhone thing a million years ago? But eventually I stumbled across it. So for anybody who's been trying to call me, I know a couple of people have been trying to call me, uh, and I have texted them saying, I'm back now. So, uh, yes, well, I'm glad to go. hear it was successfully resolved. Um, always, uh, always good to get your technology woes out of the way, isn't it? Uh, let's also say hello to Mr. Steve Hillier from stevehillier.net, uh, music producer, DJ, educator, synth player. There's a couple of synths behind him there, look, and they're real. They're not. Uh, they're not fake. Oh yeah, these these are these are definitely real. We should probably throw in Cat Lover as well, I suppose. Oh yeah, we saw your cat. Yeah. How are you, Steve? We haven't seen you for ages. You've been busy. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, gosh, um, I've had some iPhone uh, issues of my own, and I discovered, I'm sure you may have talked about it here, um, but Apple are doing this £25 uh, exchange of battery thing or replacement battery. Do you know about this? Oh, no, that's a good idea. Yeah, so I, I had, um, I mean, this isn't, by the way, everything I've been doing for the last six weeks, but <laughs> this is, um, I, I, I had an old iPhone 7, and um, I checked how much battery wear there was, and it was down to 65 percent i thought i know i'll treat myself go down to the apple store and um they're doing a a program where they'll change the battery uh, on the you know on certain uh, models of iphone for 25 pounds um i think this was in response to the class actions yeah that are going i don't on think it was the... charitable it was more like avoiding no. <laughs> avoiding no. too much it's more of a damage <laughs> limitation <laughs> Yeah, and, and, but I think this battery replacement thing has become incredibly popular because, I mean, there literally was a queue of people in front of me waiting for their appointment for the geniuses, all with their iPhones. But anyway, um, so, yeah, I got that replaced, and they did it for free. So I'm ah, remaining sweet. You know, in the Apple cult, I suppose. It's who you know. And yeah. I've, well, yes, exactly. And I think also the other thing is when you when you meet your genius, you've got to um, whisper into their ear, Steve Jobs loved you. And if you do that, you get a like, special price. I like that. When you meet your genius, that I'm going to write that down. That might actually be the title of the show, even though it's unrelated <laughs> to music technology directly. Anyway, Steve, lovely to have you aboard. Uh, thanks for joining us. And also Cheers. we have Mr. Gaz Williams, who's over there in Bristol, uh, producer, music technologist, many other things, and uh, recipient of a Neutron, I believe. I saw your video go up last night. You did an hour of noodling. That's very impressive. Do you know what? Behringer have actually kind of ignited a new controversy or whatever you want to call it. The Neutron is like incredible and it's like, it's going to blow people's minds. I mean, the, the, the those oscillators are just massive, incredible. I've not experienced something like that within that sort of product price range. You know, this is, um, it's quite a significant thing they've done with this. I mean, and it kind of came out at the same time as, nam was happening so it's a very strange timing in a way with them not being there so that thing has just kind of exploded really just out of nowhere and um it's the smart I'm, guys of manchester which is where i presume you well, got yours as well. God, i mean you know this is something else this is something that's uh it's it plays so well with other other things um be it a you know my kind of setup which i know many people have got which is more the desktopy sort of you know multiple <laughs> unit type situations a clutterist uh, a, a clutterist <laughs> oh that what? i said the i said i said the word and then i thought that's probably a bit inadvisable <laughs> can i take that back hold on it's a brilliant... rewind no you can't it's out there now it's out there Oops. That's a good day for a sense. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's let's move swiftly on. Anyway, Gaz, lovely to have you aboard. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and yeah, cover man. my embarrassment. Look, I'm blushing. I'm nearly the same colour as my shirt. Yeah. Um, um, can I can I just say one thing, Nick? Yeah. I'm gonna do another live broadcast. Uh and I want uh, using the neutron, but what I want to do is I want to build a patch using entirely suggestions in the comments. So uh I'm going to get an image up of the um, of the patch bay, and then I'm just going to ask, what should I plug in? And then just sort of ask people to make patches. So I'll try and be like a virtual, um, a little virtual modular system. <laughs> so later tonight, <laughs> later tonight, about 8 p.m. 
Ah, brilliant. Okay, I'm sure you will have a, a very willing audience because it seems, like you say, it does seem to have captured the imagination. But it's good. But yes. Um, okay, let's uh, let's start with now. Um, let's start with this because uh, this is. In, in some ways connected and in other ways completely not. This is the uh, annual um, Bob Moog Foundation uh, giveaway. Uh, you can win an original Model D, uh, which is going to be signed by Sir Rick of Wakeman. I hope he's wearing a cape when he does it, but uh, basically tickets 25 quid each, five for 100, and you've got till 26 of March 2018 or when all four and a half thousand tickets are sold. So it's, like, it's kind of a fundraiser stroke raffle thing. And I wanted to give it a plug, but I also thought, actually... What about what about sort of widening it out a little bit and seeing if there's a, a people have won and of what have people won? But before I did that, I did actually find a clip of Rick playing the Mini Moog. So here it comes. This is from 1972 somewhere. Uh, I think this was, and he has got the full glittery cape on. There he goes. does seem almost cartoon-like, but there it is. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. We don't get much Rick on the show, do we, Dave? I don't know what you think about it. I mean, you've got a, do, a, a Moog over there. I know uh, Adrian Utley's got one signed by Bob. Have you got, uh, has anyone signed yours? No. I've, I've got the Theremin signed by Bob. Ah, uh, well, that's but good. No, that's, that's one of the Oh, that's the, ones, the new yeah. ones. Ah, yeah, of course. Yeah, the old one's gone to the big studio, as it were. So, uh, Dave, uh, have you ever yes. won anything? Oh, come on. <laughs> yes, weirdly enough. I was thinking about this this morning, and I, and I yes, suddenly remembered that I had won something. God almighty. Um, yeah. I, so I was in a band in the 80s. This is, this is like my sordid little secret. I was in a band in the 80s, and um, I was away for a little while, and somehow the bass player who I didn't really get on with because he'd replaced Dale, who was a phenomenal bass player, and him and I just kind of did everything via telepathy, uh, and entered us into a talent contest, <laughs> which it appears that by the time I came back from my little jaunt around Europe, we were in the final, which was to be held at the BMF in London, which was a bit Br of a British mega music affair. Fan. Yeah, that was at uh, Wem yeah. uh, Wembley, wasn't it? Uh, no, I uh, think this one was Olympia. Olympia, that's right, yeah. And yes, it's kind of weird because I've kept it really quiet for many, many years. And the judges were people that I've kind of subsequently worked with. It's like the old boss of Akai. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> the old boss of Akai, uh, who was Dave Coldfield, who later became our rep after, after the demise of Akai, but now runs Martin Lighting, I think. Um, people like Mark Jenkins, who's a bit of a synth guru. There were loads and loads of people, and I hate talent contests. Uh, so I was there under duress because we would win, if we won, we would win an Akai S612 and the entire Whoa. library. And 
we won. Uh, and we also won, you know, like recording sessions and a photographic session. Anyway, so we were so perturbed. I have to finish this story because this is the segue to the amazing <laughs> photo that I can see you've queued up. <laughs> so we had a manager who was very mecca nightclub. And she wasn't music business, she was show business. And she kind of upset everyone in the music business. And people kept saying to us, you've got to get rid of her because she's just telling everyone you're the next Beatles. So we've gone from talent contest to being the next Beatles in one fell swoop. And it was all very embarrassing. So we decided, she had this phrase, I can only fly in good weather and you guys need to start taking things seriously. Well, we were a bunch of reprobates. Uh, so the singer said, I've got the best way of getting rid of her. We go to the photo shoot and we dress up in the most ridiculous costume we can find. And I've got a mate who's in 42nd Street in the West End and he'll give us access to the wardrobe department. So him and I go up there. We find the most absurd costumes and we went into the photo shoot. Whereupon, because she was show business, she looked at the costumes and went, my, they're beautiful. Doctor and the medics eat your heart out. And on that note, I give you permission to show the best, okay, is everybody, the best 80s photograph. Ever. Is everybody ready? This is a bit of a doody, this one. Okay, stand <laughs> yes, by. On, there we go. There it is. Oh. And, <laughs> that is Dave right there. Uh, and the other gentleman who looked like they're sort I've... of, uh, it's like a Ken Russell period drama kind of shot, isn't it? Amazing. Thank you, Dave. That's awesome. Wow. What was, am- would... what was amazing was the photographer was this guy, Matthew Vosborough, who used to do all of the um, photographs of synths and stuff, uh, like one, two testing and music technology magazine back in the day. And he just looked at us and went, when the joke obviously completely backfired, we, uh, he said, the photographer said, you're not getting out of this that easily. You are having photographs taken in those costumes. Now, years, he now works for Google as a programmer. And it's so weird because through a load of other musical friends, uh, I made touch with him about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And he said, I remember that day like it was yesterday. I've just that was no- at John Henry's. And we went straight from there to the cafe and hung out with Mark Armand and all that lot. Nice. I just, I just want to... We were going to be megastars. Just a second. If you just look here, <laughs> it looks like you're being photographed against the backdrop of bubble wrap. It was. It was <laughs> bubble wrap. <laughs> and and, the, and you, can you see the guy um, with the beard? Yeah. With the sort of, this was obviously 80s designer stubble. That is cigarette ash glued to his face. Wow. <laughs> that is that is even weirder than, yeah. than, uh, than I could possibly. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone can top that. Okay, so who wants to go next with what they've won? Steve, have you ever, you, you must have won something. I mean, you know, surprise prize uh, and all of that. <laughs> yeah, I was sort of thinking um, whether I should tell this story. Which oh, you've got to now. Means that I should. Um, <laughs> yeah, I won a. I won something from my first job when I was when I left school. Um, I was lucky enough to um, not bother completing my A levels, but going straight into working for a record company or, or rather a distributor that was just down the road from where I grew up called Pinnacle Records, and I became part of the sales team down there. And Pinnacle at that point, just like weeks before I joined, they'd lost a couple of, of um, 
big uh, clients. They'd lost uh, a company called the Cartel, which was had uh, labels like Rough Trade and all that. And they'd also lost Beggar's Banquet, which meant they lost 4AD. So the big label that they had left was Factory Records who I'm sure everyone remember them as being where we get Joy Division and New Order and all that from. Anyway, Super so cool. um, the uh, I, the second tune that I worked on for them was a song called uh, Touched by the Hand of God, which um, I was part of the team and I was the, the main person who sort of sold that into the record shops and managed to get like a huge amount of sales going through on my uh my computer um for this record and, and as, as a consequence I, I ended up winning winning um a new order football uh which of course was related to the song touched by the hand of god hand of god because it was all about maradona uh doing his special um handball uh, headbutt sort of <laughs> handball that was the thing but the thing was right and this is why I, i'm hesitant to tell this story the thing was although i'd done I think quite a good job of sending in this record and, and maybe deserve the ball or not. The reason why my sales figures were so high was nothing to do with that new order record. This, what it was, was that at this, at the time, um, there was a best of new order that had just come out called substance and it was a double CD. And these things were really expensive and it was a huge seller. Um, not only for factory and new order, but also for pinnacle. And of course, like the thing about, pinnacle was that their job was to get the stock into the shops right really important job and i had earlier in that week um accidentally sent the entire uk stock of this double cd to a corner shop in wantage and so <laughs> it looked like i'd suddenly sold hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of cds but instead it was a, a mistaken order that and now there was a pallet of all these new order best offs just sitting in a corner shop in a village on the side of the road somewhere in Oxfordshire and it had taken something like I don't know two or three days for the distributor to actually have realized what had happened and I I just remember very clearly having been the day before being given my new order football to then be called into the sales manager's office with a, a very grave look on his face, looking for an explanation for why the most valuable uh, release they've ever done is now completely out of stock everywhere in the UK. Uh, so, did you have to get the football uh, yeah, back? And, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, but I was sacked from that job eventually. Ah. <laughs> excellent. But you kept the ball. It makes you, it all you kept the ball. Fun. Yeah, that excellent. So you got oh, there. Yeah. The <laughs> what about you, Gail? I'm sure you must be the recipient of many prizes and uh, and winnings and what what not. I've never won a thing ever. Not a sausage. Uh, I've oh, never f- actually won a sausage. Nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, so maybe maybe after today I will. So maybe this will. Give I do some hope good so. Good I think that. everybody yeah. needs to win something. I think the only thing that I yeah. can remember winning, apart from the, uh, uh, apart from, um, I, I was at the. It was the launch of the Korg Kronos at Nam. Um, it was in the hotel that's just down the convention way into the right a bit. I've forgotten the name of it, and it was a really swanky affair. And they were doing they were doing all these giveaways, and there were goodie bags and stuff. And uh, because it's Kronos. I think it was Rich Forbidoni's uh, first product launch. And uh, I won a watch. 
and I can't remember where it's in the storeroom somewhere. I've never taken it out of the box. I thought it might be valuable. I looked up on eBay. It wasn't that valuable, but the Chronos and I've got the watch and I don't wear a watch. So hence that, that that's the only time that's the only one I can think of. So it's not even a story really. It's just a sort of disappointing. <laughs> I think I coined, coined the phrase when I was talking, I met Dave Robinson in Bath uh, last weekend because he was down for a friend's birthday party. Happy birthday, Simon Power, if you're watching. And, uh, and I was starting all these anecdotes, and I, I think I've coined the phrase uh, another incomplete fact. So it feels very much like an incomplete fact of a story. Anyway, if you want to, if you want to win, if you want to win the uh, mini Moog, uh, get over to the Bob Moog Foundation website, which I think is bobmoog.org or bobmoogfoundation.org. I forget what the address is. It's probably here somewhere. Let's see, Bob Moog Foundation, moogfoundation.org is where you go, and that's where you can get all of that stuff. Anyway, that was that. See, I, I would, I would like to, I would like to sort of uh, actually see if I could make it up with Rick Wakeman, you know, because Have my last incident with, yes, quite publicly in the Houses of Parliament. Uh, Wait a minute. Yes. <laughs> okay, you got to tell us now. So <laughs> that sounds way more interesting. <laughs> uh, 2003 there was a new law that came in into britain to do with uh music licensing trying to sort of uh legitimize a lot of the things and i had very big mixed feelings about it but there was an event in the houses of parliament that fergal sharkey was hosting which was kind of to try to try and um create more awareness for this changing law and there was a bunch of uh performers uh playing at this uh at this event and of which i was playing at this event and we were the first band to play and uh it was the first ever gig in the houses of parliament so play and we were we were first on so uh that was pretty cool but rick wakeman was also on the bill <laughs> and i think i don't know why but i think he just decided that he didn't want to play anymore and Earlier on in the day, we'd had a lunch together and had lots of fun. He's a great raconteur and brilliant and brilliant company, but for some reason, he decided that he didn't want to play at this uh, at this concert within the, within the Houses of Parliament in Portcullis House. Uh, so the stage manager said, "Oh, after we came off stage, oh yeah, Rick isn't playing anymore, but he was going to use our keyboard, so I was um, going to help him out with that, but." Uh, so I went up to Rick. I said, Rick, you're not playing anymore. He said, DI boxes. Is that just too much to ask? Two simple DI boxes. And he was in a really grumpy mood and he was blaming like him not performing on the fact that there wasn't two DI boxes to plug the keyboard into. But it was our keyboard and it was already connected. It was fine. So it was clearly like some ruse to uh, to get out of the gig. But I was just trying to be helpful and go, oh, no, Rick, it's fine, you know. Uh, try and make it work and I was blowing his cover you see everyone else was buying that as a reason for him not playing <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah so things got a little bit heated and he was a little bit of a he was a bit puffed up about it to be fair um, anyway he span around on his heels and he stormed out and he left and he walked and he stormed out and walked out uh, and I turned around and like a contingency of the Welsh Music Foundation who had gone up there with, were all just like like laughing. <laughs> I just watched him go out of the building. You know, Do they all him, think it was your, uh, your fault? <laughs> well, I think I blew his cover, you see. Um, ah, okay. But anyway, 
So yes, I got a Excellent. priceless Rick story if you want it. Great there are, there are many. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go on. Yeah. Why not? I mean, We're in story he's mate, and here's a well, it's it's a Nam related story because obviously we took him to Nam when we did the Mini Monster launch, and uh, he came to my place during the development of the Mini Monster and whatnot, and then we kind of decided that it would be good for him to go to Nam, and he was up for it and whatnot, and uh, it, you know he charged us mates rates, but it was still you know for us it was a reasonable sum of money. And uh, I was on the stage, we were distributed by Avid or DigiDesign then, and I was on the stage getting stuff ready, and Rick had flown over with his girlfriend then, who's now I think his wife. Uh, and I looked down from the stage, and he goes, all right. And he, he's got his coat over his shoulders, like a cape, and I notice he's got both arms in plaster. <laughs> And the blood just ran to my feet. And my first thought, well, my first thought was, oh, shit. And then my second thought was, are we insured? At which point he'd spotted the look on my face, peeled off the fake plaster cast and went, got ya. Oh, too I, easy. I, too I remember. Easy. I remember that we did an interview with him because we thought, oh yeah, and uh, we'd set that up with you, and we were gonna. We thought, oh yeah, we'll have a chance to interview Rick Wakeman, and so he rolled the cameras. I probably told this story before, and he just he was so potty mouthed, and so he just kept saying stuff that was just absolutely unpublishable, <laughs> and it was like, okay, I don't think we could use any of it in the end. But he, he did it with a glint in his eye. I guess he just probably didn't want to do the interview, which is fine. But you know, there you go. I've still got it. I still got it. I saw it the other day. I found it oh. the other day. I'm transferring loads of stuff over from an old um, old Mac. And I was like, what's this? And it's that, yeah. I first met my friend Dave when we were both auditioning for the editorship of Gay Times. Oh, and yeah. It, it was all of that. Worse and worse. Yeah. It just went on from there. I don't think we used it. I think I might have sent it to you just to sort of say, see, we can't really use it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's oh let's let's just take a, a quick uh, interjection and uh, have a word from uh, our friends at Isotope. Of course, Isotope Ozone, uh, one of the finest, if not the finest, set of mastering tools and plugins uh, available, um, which is now a version eight. Uh, you've got the Master Assistant, which helps you sort of set up the start of your mastering session, analyzes the audio you're throwing into it, you ask her a few questions, and it sort of creates a chain using uh, machine learning to kind of get you started. And it's actually, uh, I know that Gaz was talking about it, he managed to get that kind of, it was not dissimilar to what he would have done himself. So it obviously is working, it's not just a, a, a ruse. Tonal balance control, another great feature, which allows you to see the kind of responses in the four frequency bands. And you can, as long as you aim within that, you're gonna get in the ballpark of what you're heading heading towards very powerful stuff you can also do uh, a lot of things like uh, the other thing you could do I'm just losing my words for a minute yes what you could also do is change different uh, select a folder of tracks and compare them all so you've got an AB mix with uh, playlisting so you can say here's the chorus compare it to the chorus of the sort of song very powerful also you're able to control neutron 2 and other instances of ozone 8 in the same session so you can kind of work on the whole thing from within the same document very powerful stuff lots of visual tools to help you visualize the mix because as we know our speakers aren't always what we hope and uh, the visual stuff really does help you this is what i was talking about the in-app referencing i think that was the catch 
the phrase I was looking for. Up to 10 reference tracks, there you go. So if you want to check out Ozone 8 uh, and use it for mastering, or you can run it on individual tracks, it's actually very powerful. We're using, in fact, uh, we use Neutron across the mix bus of this show, which gives us a little bit of extra pep and pick pick up spectral shape yeah lots of stuff head over to isotope.com forward slash ozone and you'll be able to download a 10-day working demo as well as check out all of there's lots and lots of video tutorials on how to get the most from it anyway oh god i'm glad i got that out i got really tongue-tied anyway thank you very much to ozone for the uh, sponsoring the show uh, we got um yeah a competition here uh, and we're looking for the hashtag future of mastering which is when i've plucked from the pr of their site future of mastering is one hashtag and the future of and ozone eight is another and you tweet that to at sonic state and at isotope inc yes it's a twitter competition so we're looking for the hashtag future of mastering the hashtag ozone eight to at sonic state and at isotope inc and that will get you into the competition we got a winner from last week and i was gonna i I'd throw it because that they they're one of the people who put up a uh a picture up and it's like it seems like a picture of me uh with the modal i'm not sure what that one is but uh, oh yeah pwm knob come to daddy as I, I know i'm often uh um cited for my love of pwn so yeah we that's the winner for last week and this is somebody called seo whose twitter handle is at seo uh music producer and technology fanatic currently based in india so i don't think we had a winner from india so uh, congratulations seo do get in touch and you will be given a copy of ozone 8 Right, what's next? Um, oh, yeah, um, we'll do this quickly just because we should, and it's it's blowing up all over the place. seems to generate it a lot. This is yet another uh, Behringer clone story. Uh, not actually a clone at all, but there seems to be rumours that they're possibly making, uh, looking into making a Jupiter-8 clone and what looks like a TR-808. And the reason that that came up was... Um, it was mentioned, and a little bird told me that that may indeed be true, but there's no other fi facts and figures, so perhaps we won't go into it much more. But there was a chap uh, called, is it this guy? No, it's this guy. T uh, I think he's called Teargrind, and he actually made the voice boards and sort of recreated a Jupiter 8 in hardware himself. I got no, I mean, I'm still probably cheaper than buying one of the custom ones, but there it is. As you can see, it hasn't got the cassette uh, buttons on the uh, on the end. It doesn't need them because it probably hasn't got. It didn't go that far to get the cassette memories. Anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there. Dave, how much do you reckon it would cost to make a Jupiter Eight from scratch? Is it going to be? Do you reckon it'd be cheaper than buying a second-hand one at the moment? It's got to be, hasn't it? I don't know. I mean, they seem to. Well, they're certainly mad money now. Yeah, it's like uh, 18, but the, somewhere between ten and twenty thousand dollars seems to be the kind of uh, the going rate. It's yeah, I mean, amount. I said between eight and ten thousand pounds. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, no, a lot, a lot. Uh, I think this guy sent me his video when he finished it. I mean, it sounded great. It did sound great, and I couldn't resist kind of doing a couple of little ABs, looking at various settings and stuff. And I mean, it seemed great. But yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be cheaper, isn't it? I mean, yeah. ultimately, if you've got that skill set. It would be a, a very, very neat little thing to do. Yeah, but I absolutely. don't have that, so we have to buy them. <laughs> yeah, or or make them in software or whatever. You know, I'm not suggesting that you are, but uh, somebody do. Some people do. But or or make them in hardware in, in a factory in China, or tell people you're going to make them in a factory in China and get around yeah. to it one day, depending on how interested people are. I don't know. It seems to be ever going. I mean, I don't want to dwell too much on it. They seem to be monopolising the news too much, but. Uh, would you buy a Jupiter 8 if you could afford it? Uh, I had one. I had ah. one uh, about seven or eight years ago. I bought one from a contact up in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Uh, cost me three grand at the time. 
um, and I had it for a year and a half, and um, I didn't really use it, quite frankly, and I sold it, oh gosh, four years ago, for six grand. So investment. (laughs) So I'm kind of well pleased, quite frankly, with that. But um, I'm I'm sort of, I don't know, I sort of feel a bit like I'm sort of done with... um, um, that sort of classic Roland sound and the, those old keyboards. I've had ju- I've had basically too many of them die on me um, now, so I, I, I'm just not playing that game anymore, quite frankly. No, that's fair enough. I suppose that's uh, that's another way. And they take up so much space. That's the thing. I mean, obviously there was the boutique, yeah. which was one thing, but it, you didn't have the physicality, the impressive side of it. But you know, it was uh, in terms of how close it sounded. I think we did an A B because Dave, I think you sent me. Uh, a, I borrowed your Jupiter 8 for a bit and it wasn't bad. It was just almost impossible to operate because it was so teeny tiny. And, uh, you know, mm. there you go. So it's one of those things. It's, uh, and do you want do you want something that massive, I suppose? You know, it's like the one thing I, to have I, a Schmidt or, you know, something then, but just a Jupiter 8. I do I think know. there's an aspect to this, which I, th- I think is okay to an extent in that it's... These old machines are, are rather expensive, but beautiful-looking furniture, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And they're certainly impressive to keep in your studio. And of course, if you're running like a, um, you know, a studio that's available to hire to the public, when people come in to check it out, they see a Jupiter eight over there next to your Neve and all that kind of thing. It looks good. But if you're running a, you know, a setup like I have here, where essentially it's normally just me or me and a singer. It's not really so relevant. Although I do like looking at these things, you know. But then yeah, I can no, look at them I on the internet. That, that's that's true. God, I can't imagine what the service um, uh, bill would be to have a Neve and a Jupiter Eight, let alone any of the other stuff. <laughs> I know, Gaz. So something. I mean, you've got limited space. I mean, you know, something perhaps between the size of a boutique and a full size Jupiter Eight for you, maybe, or not at all. <clears throat> well, I. I'm more interested in the new designs, really. You know, I'm 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 I'm, I'm very interested that uh, the that the that the, the, I've been looking into the thirty three forty um, VCO and reading about it and learning about the Curtis. Uh, well, Curtis have brought it back themselves, haven't they? Um, yeah. I think uh, they're about fifteen dollars a, a piece. So Behringer are not using those; they made their own clone of it. So they've made a, a new, so they've tooled up to manufacture that 3340s, chip. Yeah, yeah. 3340s. So I know that's in the Jupiter 6, isn't it? Not the Jupiter 8. Jupiter 8 is something else, I think, apparently. Yeah. Yes. So um, it just makes me think, though, if they if they got that budget to make those chips, there's going to be sort of polys coming out with the 3340 chips in in abundance in them isn't there i guess well there are actually there are a number of i mean we saw at nam quite a lot of modules that are 3340 chips in them uh um you know a new 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 single voices new oscillators that sort of thing i forget the the makes of them but i remember seeing there were a few of those going on i don't know whether they were from Mm. curtis or from behringer because behringer own the company that makes the 3340s i don't think they come out as behringer or in music brand stuff i just like I like the idea of new instruments being better than things in, from the past. You know, things in the past are beautiful for what they are, but you know, there is this thing that that new things can never be as good as things from the past. And uh, I'm kind of thinking, oh, I think they can. <laughs> they should be. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. What happened with me was, was I was coming. doing a session, and it was, and I was using a, and a Jupiter Eight was kind of put in front of me. And uh, Chris was there, and I said at the time, "This feels like a 
modern, it feels like a modern synth. Uh, obviously, you haven't got aftertouch and uh, whatnot, but it just felt like a kind of modern synth, but with a really cool sound. And at that point, there wasn't an abundance of analog polys coming out. And that's kind of what we kept our eye out for quite a long time. In fact, we bought it off of a guy who was from uh, who was in Lily Yard Studios, Jeremy Stacy, and uh, it it had things dropped on it, so it was in need of a lot of TLC. But Kent, being the repairman supreme, uh, got it up mm -hmm. to got it up to speed really, really quickly, and the parts were sort of readily available. So it's funny because when people come into the big studio, the first thing they do is go to the modular. And then they muck about with that and go, uh, it's a bit, you know, I'd have to spend a good hour programming up a sound. And then they'll go to the eight voice. And that's always in unison mode. So you've got 16 oscillators that are probably out of tune by the time they touch it and they try to retune that and whatnot. And that takes up a little bit of time. And then immediately under that, I've got the CSA. And that is where they spend their time. They go to the CSAE and then they'll look across and see the JP8 and go, oh, and that. But then they'll always go back to the, CS80, just because it is a thing of joy to play. It's a real proper player's instrument. And I think the JP8 is, is similar. I got a bit bored with the whole Curtis chip thing because there were so many synths in the 80s that ended up with Curtis chips that I kind of ended up going back to SSM stuff. And it was they were all a bit more unreliable, but they had a very distinct character to them. Whereas some of the Curtis stuff, to me, sounded a little bit flabby, particularly when it came to um, filters. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's a fair point. I mean, I, <clears throat> I, excuse me, I, I think so. I, I, do, I would like to uh, also bring, because we're, we're thinking about, you know, you mash up all these synths together. We've obviously got Boog and now possible Boopiter. But I wonder if there are any other names that people would care to. And I found this couple name gem generator <laughs> in the style of Brangelina and that sort of thing. So if anyone wants to throw any out there, uh, I'll, I'll have a go at, uh, at, at, at typing the mirror. Anyone got any suggestions that we could try that, try together? I liked uh, Boberheim. That was quite good as well. <laughs> but they don't have to necessarily be Bellinger. <laughs> or we could have Ramaha. That would be quite funny, really, wouldn't it? Roland and Yamaha. What does that come up with? Let's see. Uh, right, right. Let's have a look. Roland Maha, Roland Amaha, Roland Maha, Yama Roland. Ro there's no Rola Rolamaha. Uh, oh yes, there is Rolamaha. There's there's one there. Rolamaha. That gets my vote. Rolamaha. Um, what about Yamaholand? I like that one as well. <laughs> anyway, that was just a bit of fun. Um, obviously, more fun in my head than in actuality. But there we go. <laughs> right, let's try another oh. one. Yeah, this is the short promo for the, uh, there's a new uh, competition which is Focus Right uh, Young Songwriter 2018, which is a very worthy uh, uh, idea. Uh, supporters from Focus Right in Trinity, and I think the idea is to uh, Tom O'Dell, Imelda May, Guy Chambers, both all big songwriters, recording session with top producer, Focus Right recording community, and presumably like songwriting stuff. 
Enter at Song Academy uh, says eight, co.uk says 18. Now, uh, this, this led me to a couple of things. I mean, A, how on earth do you judge a songwriting competition? Because there's so much that goes into the creation of a song or a vibe or the beginning of a song that isn't necessarily just the songwriting. It's the technology. It could be a, a signature sound. It could be a riff. It could be any of those things. I'm going to come uh, to you first, Steve, because I know that you do quite a lot of uh, uh, co-songwriting sessions and songwriting camps and that sort of thing. So I just thought, you know, I mean... Presumably, you yeah. might even be one of the people that might be asked to judge competition like this from time to time. Uh, I have done it in the past. I've, I've not um, involved with the Song Academy, but uh, but I have done this kind of thing in the past. Um, it's it's such a subjective thing. Uh, what is a good song? But I think that there are there's certain um, underlying principles. Um, it, it's to do with things like a, a, a clarity of purpose, the quality of the lyrics, and also the, of the, my students, so I, I teach songwriting, will be, if there are anyone ever watching this, they'll be rolling their eyes when I start talking about concepts uh, concepts like tension and release, which is where you, you build up um, a sense of expectation in the listener, and then you play with that expectation to get an emotional re or a just simple musical reaction. And one of the simplest examples of this, although it's not really a songwriting thing, is if you listen to, for example, a Trap or an EDM style there's lots of build-ups lots of you know 16s on the snares and then a big drop of the bass that's tension and release working uh right there but i would say that what it comes down to uh ultimately quality of songwriting and something that that I, I think a lot of guys who are involved in electronic music have difficulty with i think it's the lyrics you see the the, the purpose of a song is is to convey a message you know, it's something to be sung. And this message could be something as, as hugely important as a political message like climate change or whatever. Or it could be something really simple like let's dance or, or whatever. But it's how you convey that message in an interesting way. I think that's the, the sign of a great writer. Ultimately, it comes down to um, being a great lyricist. However, I'm aware that um, there's you know a, a huge variety of opinion on this, and other people prefer to zone in on the melody, which I, I think is also important. And there's other things too, but I think it comes down to the quality of the lyric. Okay, that's an interesting way. That's not something that I, I mean for me. It's usually melody and also the arrangement that kind of hooks me in. You know, the, the musical aspects of it. I mean, Dave, I suspect you know as a as a kind of. Uh, uh, person whose who's kind of musical awakenings happened to a similar time of uh, time of, uh, in history as mine, you probably have similar feelings. I don't know. I mean, what, how, how do you recognise a good song? Or would you, would you have trouble differentiating a good song between, from a good tune? Or, you know, how, are they the same thing? Uh, no, a good song is something that, yeah, uh, yeah, conveys a good message and an interesting message. It's funny, I've been doing this growing up in the 70s album for way too long uh, and it's really just trying to incorporate all the styles that I kind of of music that were around in the 70s that I grew up with so we've got the prog thing we've got the punk thing we've got the soul thing we've got the glam thing we've got the pop stuff uh, and that kind of got me into I always found I always find melodies really difficult because I'm a synth guy and it's about embellishing stuff and you know little interesting things going on and, I, and whenever I've worked on songs with people, particularly in the 90s, when we were doing all that kind of club stuff, 
all the melodies sounded a bit nursery rhyme to me, which kind of made me go, oh, I don't, I don't kind of like that. So now getting back to this songwriting thing, in fact, it's quite funny because there's a few of us who kind of communicate via uh, various means and we're all musicians and the idea is to challenge yourself and write a song in a style that feels alien to you. And to me, it's a cheerful song or an optimistic ah. <laughs> song, which uh, I really, <clears throat> really struggle with. But I did one probably a couple of months ago. In fact, I did the best cheat ever. I recorded it all, sang it all, did it all, wrote the theme tune, blah, blah, blah. And then I went in and did a video and whilst 90% of it was done with software, I did the video with me playing hardware. And <laughs> I put it on my Facebook page and the comments were like, whoa, no software there then, man. You can really tell there's no software there. And actually, today's the first day that I revealed that actually it was 90% software. But lyrically, I kind of had this chorus that seemed to work for me optimistically. And then it's like, oh, now we're getting it broiled in verses that attempt to mean something what i did find really fascinating is i just kind of i do stuff a bit stream of consciousness and then change things and then you know refine things and whatnot so and i'm not i'm not a good songwriter even but um i was happy with the chorus and i was quite happy with the bridge but the verses i was struggling with and they are a bit in fact what was interesting is geographically there were certain people who contacted me from certain places in Europe going, oh man, those lyrics are amazing. They really mean something to me because it's optimism in a time of extreme pessimism. And then there were other more cynical musicians that I hang out with who were looking at me going, yeah, number one in Albania, definitely because of those cheesy lyrics. <laughs> so yeah, I struggle. I struggle. I'd love to, I, I mean, I've been lucky enough to work with some, alongside some great songwriters, although a lot of it is done by a committee, isn't it? I know they do stuff down at Real World. You know, Dave Gamson from Scree that we had on here years ago, he writes like Kelly Clarkson stuff and Kesha stuff and whatnot. And he occasionally ends up down at Real World doing the whole kind of songwriting group therapy. The, thing. Camp, the camp thing, yeah. Well, I suspect that part of that is perhaps learning the notion of throwing our ideas there and maybe, you know, figuring out some of them don't work and being... being building confidence enough to be able to go, what about this? And people go, no, I don't like it. And you don't go, oh my God, I'm never going to work again. That's it. It's the end of the world. You just go, okay, uh, what about this then? You know, so I think that's part of it. I guess I'm, I'm getting, you know, I, think... I know you're a very spontaneous guy. Um, so I, I, do you write, do you, do you co-write or do you prefer to be the mm. auteur as it were? Um, well, I've been in a kind of band or writing partnership with a guy called Frank Norton for a long time, since 1993. Um, and I love the stuff that we've done together. And now that's a Rocket Gold Star uh, stuff. There's a song on YouTube called Born Taurus Man that I think is a, a song that Frank and myself have written that I think is brilliant. I really think it's just really, really good. It's this kind of traditional song in a way. It's about, uh, it's kind of relevant, but told through a sort of First World War filter. And that is all about narrative. It's a bit like a kind of multi-part song. And I love big, great, big arrangements, you know, from things like Strawberry Fields to, you know, Mr. Blue Sky, uh, I'm Not In Love. These, these are like 
Uh, Epic that's kind of like my favourite sort of music. Dare I say, Bat Out of Hell? Yeah, 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 less so, but yeah, but I'd still get, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, actually, Tears for, Tears for Fears did that amazing thing in, you know, The Seeds of Love, that just incredible song that's a kind of in that sort of mode of a big adventurous songs that do lots of things. You know, they just thrill me to the bone, you know, that amazing. Uh, and that that's what I'm looking for in songs. And I still constantly disappointed you know <laughs> that's just uh, why where are the massive big that's really interesting no you're right i mean because throughout throughout the ages there have been a lot of those you know you've got uh Bohemian Rhapsody, all of that sort of stuff these really big kind of ambitious arrangements yeah. that's an interesting awesome. point yeah yeah steve i know you yeah. were going to come in there i mean do you find that people are not so adventurous in their uh, in their songwriting efforts with that if you go hey i know what we could do yeah. let's put in a a Bohemian Rhapsody middle eight and bridge B section, you know, type of sort of just go let just, that sort of adventurousness. Does it happen? Yeah, I I, I think that's absolutely true. And I, I, the, the people in my experience in the writing sessions I've done over the last few years, they are less adventurous. So that's a bit of a generalisation, but I, th I think there's a few things going on for why this is the case. I think that um, what I've noticed is that people who um, that I'm working with who consider themselves to be writers, they tend to come from the singer-songwriter world, and that's a big world these days. And so they're they're thinking more along almost like folk singer lines. That's so, and they're being inspired by people like uh, Gabrielle Aplin and of course Ed Sheeran and all and all that kind of thing. And when you listen to the arrangements on those people's records, they're much well the ambition isn't in huge arrangements and stuff It's in it you'll find the ambition somewhere else um but there was just a, a couple of things I, w I just wanted to um, bring up you you yourself nick were talking about when you're writing when you're on a writing session it's kind of hard sometimes to put your idea forward for fear of um rejection because often that's what happens but a little tip i would give to everybody is that the i think the key if you're doing a writing session or even just working on your own is to almost separate the idea that you come up with from yourself if you know what i mean so it's not a um it's not something that you own it's just something like what i found passing yeah. through yeah yeah, yeah something you found so you throw it out there and if it doesn't stick it's absolutely fine because there's a whole load of other ideas coming along um you know from your own sort of creativity later on and that normally grows from working quickly and I know that that's a bit of an issue for people who work with, you know, computers and synths. We tend to spend hours, days, sometimes years refining something. Whereas really a writer will turn out three or four songs and completed songs a day. Maybe not three or four, but at least one a day, you know, 365 days a year, knowing that most of the time what they're writing is not going to be very good. But every now and then, there's a song that keeps them in royalties for 10 years, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I suppose it, it's like a muscle, isn't it? It's like practicing that. But it's interesting what you were saying. I mean, I think the Ed Sheeran thing is quite uh, interesting as well because I know that um, when I saw his Glastonbury performance, I mean, it was very mixed, but I, I was really impressed because, you know, basically it's, it's one person on stage pretty much doing all of it. And some of the songs that he did, that he was using the looper and his guitars and stuff, and he would build them. I mean, I guess that's one of the reasons why the arrangements are less ambitious, because the technology doesn't allow him to wander so far, deviate so far from the kind of two, four bar, eight bar, 16 bar sections. Yeah. But what also came across was he still conveyed the song without having all of the 
the the the the kind of uh, framework of yeah. the of the technology and the production. And I think so. I think you know, in terms of how maybe kids see it, how the masses might see it, they go, "Oh, I still really like that song," and they're not going, "I'm really disappointed because it didn't have that hi hat part I really liked." So you you get that kind of swing, maybe. That's absolutely right, Nick. And just to build on that, um, if you listen to. Uh, the Shape of You, you know, his big song from last year. Yeah. The arrangement on that is so, so simple. You you can tell that it's been built up, you know, with loops and that kind of thing. But um, if you stick that on as a DJ or if you're out in the club or whatever and somebody puts on that song, um, the fact that there's not a lot going on in the arrangement, the fact that the big bass drop doesn't happen until about, what, 120 seconds in it doesn't matter because everyone they're singing along to the words they're loving this whole idea of being in in love with the shape of you which is something that i don't think i'd ever say to anyone maybe to one of the cats i don't know but it but it still it captures people's excitement it's not it does it's that sentiment doesn't require a lot of bombast i suppose it's interesting yeah well that that is interesting i suppose the, the, the thing is you know when you've got an arrangement that is is more bombastic, you know, like like Gaz was talking about. You know that after the second chorus, there's a bit that you're really looking forward to hearing. Whereas what we tend to do in certainly in pop culture is condense. Oh, that bit's really good, so let's just repeat it all the way through the song as many times as possible. Oh, yeah. You don't you don't have that sense of journey, and you go after this one is that bit I really love that high note or that that kind of that new phrase that we haven't heard before that new musical section because so you don't so that in, in a sense is naturally going to condense the attention span of the listener because they're not they're not educated in in expecting to hear things that are at the end because i mean you know there'd be various records in the past where where you there'd be a bit right at the end that was maybe just before the fade out or the drop chorus just before you go that is something that you really liked you just don't get that so much you know it's it's if that if it's that good it needs to be at the front or near the front i don't know whether you you would uh, you would concur with that i mean you've done remixes and stuff i mean because remixes is all about condensement isn't it and kind of right where's the good bit okay repeat that forever and change a few bits so that it continues to play i'll do things like uh you know dale who was amy winehouse's managing uh, musical director who's on here phenomenal bass player perfect pitch uh, and uh, I'll, I noticed that whenever we use sessions in the kind of uh, mid to late nineties, it was always on the outro that he'd really start to let rip of the little nuggets. So I would, I will have the most hideously extended outro on track, but just do it, blast away, and then take that, and I'll take snippets of that, and I'll put some of those really beautiful goosebump licks into the main part. I love all of that. Ad libs, vocal ad libs and stuff like that. Again, I love, I mean, things like, God, I'm going back now, but songs in the key of life. I know every single ad lib off of every single song off my heart on those. And it's those <laughs> things that really kind of, I don't know, they're the goosebump moments for me. A great song is a great song, but a great song is usually fairly obvious that it's a great song because it means something to you. It might mean nothing to somebody else. But for me, those Can I just say something in player yeah. gold. Go Sorry, Steve. Dave. Sorry, Dave. Can I just throw something in here? No, no, no. I think um, these records do still exist. They're just not in the the pop world. I was just sort of thinking, you know, the the stuff that I tend to listen to, the 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 the, the solos on the outro, the widdly little bits, the kind of moments that happen just once are still there. And I'm just thinking. Um, there was a band uh, that I really loved that were around a lot last year. They were playing called Cigarettes After Sex. I don't know if anybody's aware of them. 
the no, kind great of really name. slow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. I, th- Dream they pop. make music that you wouldn't imagine. Pardon? Dream pop. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. It is, and um, yeah. But my my point is that these longer records with bigger arrangements and the bombast. It's still out there. We're just not going to find it in the pop world. And I think that the pop world has become very focused, very uh, condensed thing, doing, you know, that job. But there's plenty of space for everybody else. They're out there. It's bands like uh, Cigarettes After Sex, Mew. Um, I'm trying to think who else I've been listening to here. JSOM are really good. Tori E. Moy. They're, they're out there. They're, you know, we'll find them. I've got to find. I've just, I've just something called Apocalypse. I've got to play a bit of that. Uh, oh, it's oh. a good song. That one. No, I don't think it starts like this unless they've incorporated the ad into. It. <laughs> Yuck. PPI. Ah. But oh yeah, okay. It reminds me of um. Already, I'm at the very. I'm now. I'm now basically proving the point. I haven't got time to play the whole song. Probably get busted if we do. So I didn't hear enough in there. That why didn't they put the chorus at the beginning? For God's sake, that sounded a bit like Cowboy Junkies. Actually, it had that sort of vibe. The Trinity Sessions. Yeah. I don't know if anybody remembers them. They were kind of an interesting band. Anyway, yeah. um, uh, we should probably. Oh God, it's nearly five o'clock. I can't believe it. Did anybody want to cover any of the other topics quickly? I mean, these other ones are fairly What's that massive. Swedish? What's that Swedish low? low uh latency uh os thing oh the elk the alk thing yeah, yeah i haven't had the chance to check that out it looks really interesting well this is yeah this was something that came up um it was we saw it now i don't think we got round to them but uh it, it, it but basically what they've done is they've created a version uh, i think it's a sort of based on the linux kernel that is a music operating system that allows them to run really low latency well here we go linux based support vst is it works in the juiced juice plugin uh, scenario so you can develop mm. on juice and then you can publish as vst and i guess as au it's got native connection for usb wi-fi and 4g so you could use it for embedded stuff or you could use it for plug-in development wow. i think they've also got hardware um in out latency you know if you if you get their a to d and d to a and their cpu which is like a a, a, a sort of separate piece of hardware it'll it'll get mm-hmm. latency down to a matter of milliseconds and it seems like quite a sensible idea for development because you have a common platform and then it's at the heart of a few things and there are some people who are mm. building it it's by uh, midi music mind music labs uh elk uh, i'm not quite sure the whole scenario about that i guess dave would be perhaps uh, someone to talk about those sort of things i mean do, do you think no, he wouldn't be. I mean, but, but I mean, because we're, we've been tied to this kind of VST AU type of engine for such a long time. I mean, I know that Roly owned the Juice platform, but does that has that 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 standardisation sort of enabled much more to happen? I and mean, have you been, ex- or, or is you still better off developing sort of outside of a framework if you want to be innovative? It depends what programmer you talk to. Uh, certain programmers go, no, actually, I don't. I don't like frameworks. Uh, that'll be the opinion of one programmer. However, Juice has really got it going on. Uh, that can't be denied. In fact, I can't really say very much, but I know of at least one company who are rewriting all of their library code uh, and porting it all to Juice. And having spent a huge amount of time and money uh, developing their own framework system, and that was a bit of a moment for me when uh, we had a meeting and they turned around and said that and i was like wow okay because and, and it's 
I can probably say why their reason was that they spent uh, a year doing AAX stuff and obviously you, they felt they couldn't charge the user to migrate from, uh, to cross-grade from a, uh, RTAS to AAX and that that whole schlep would have been much easier had they have started with Juice and it's becoming so ubiquitous now it kind of makes sense so yes that's, that's about as much as I can say really. Yeah, well, that does make sense. I mean, because obviously that is one of the big deals. You know, you, you the standards do help you because presumably, you know, if Juice as a as a product will be going, okay, well, we've written a compiler or a whatever it is, a publisher for AAX or these other troublesome plugins that you would ordinarily have to have this sort of side project of getting them to work and you can reuse maybe a bunch of the assets. That makes a lot of sense. I know it's getting a bit technical there, but it does make can a lot we... of sense. I don't... Sorry. Sorry. Go, guys. I was just going to say, can... Just, just back it up to sort of the elk. Uh, can you just go over the 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 headline parts of the elk thing again, though, for me, please? Just yeah, the uh, top part. Ultra low latency, one millisecond round trip. Uh, Linux-based, using sync. Uh, it works on Intel and ARM CPUs, so that means you could work with a different, both mm. different kind. Uh, you've got support for VST. So you, could and do it on, you could, you could yeah. do it on Raspberry Pi then. Yes, I suppose so. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So. This is quite an interesting potential interesting development. I just wanted to I just wanted to back up there just because um, yeah, there's a there is a huge kind of need for some sort of like something that could bring the world of professional world of plugins into that legitimate sort of way of doing stuff. I think it's I think there's dynamite in those hills. Uh, yeah, I, well, we've talked about it for a while, hasn't it? I mean, is that that concept of utilizing this sort of ultra cheap kind of easily can. Uh, um, movable platform and we've seen a couple of instruments come out what's it the GRM one the granular embedded is just like an embedded pie yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah with its own OS yeah makes a Mm. lot of sense Steve did I I sorry there we go well just just sorry I will pass in a moment so just in a theoretical (laughs) sense then you could just build your own little module whatever it is and like a like a little baby Mellotron and get the GeForce Mtron running on a little hardware thing embedded in there yeah switch it on it loads straight into that yeah off you go something that could there we go see yeah <laughs> that's what i want <laughs> yeah little box i suppose uh, i suppose in in some respects you could have things like i don't know steve you could have things almost like monitor uh, like uh volker size things which are just essentially single purpose you know microcomputers which just run maybe one or two i mean there were people have tried to do this in the past and there was the i can't remember the system now it was uh god what was it brian lancer uh muse the muse receptor and then also sm pro audio tried to do it with a a little box as well but it was just such a nightmare to use i don't know if uh, Mm. whether that would make sense to you whether some some of these software products just being able to have them in a box that you could uh, use or whether it doesn't i don't know uh, well, I can tell you that I'd, I'd absolutely love this. I mean, th- where it would become interesting for me would be if you could, you know, just if you had a controller keyboard, loads of knobs, loads of sliders, little screen, um, and then you could just load in your favorite plugin. I mean, I'd, I've been looking for a long time for um, some way of uh, really seamlessly running, uh, for example, X for Record Serum 
uh, for live where I, where I can play it. Now I've I've worked it out. I can do it now. I, I combine a couple of uh, controllers together, and I and I can do a performance now with that software. But I would just love. But I I still need to have a laptop with me. What I just would really like would be able to just walk into a venue with a keyboard and then access those sounds that I've created and play it. You know, um, and and it will be a platform like this that I would think would, that would enable me to do this. But I do sort of feel like it's it's one or two years away. I don't know. I can envision a time. But you could imagine where you had an Expo Records box, uh, you know, a GeForce box, all of these things, and that they could maybe snap together in a way that allowed the audio busing to come through. And then you could have another module that just either summed them all mm-hmm. with a little mixer or had a bunch of multiple outputs. So you just kind of go, dunk that, that right, there's my rig, click, 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 click. Here's the number of outputs I want, or here's a mixer module so I can only go to stereo. You know, those are the sort of things that, you know, you can dream about. But, I mean, it, again, it's another standard that we require. So maybe this Elk thing is the beginnings of that. In fact, I think they're starting – let me see. I've did uh, – where is it, Elk? They are starting to partner with uh, a few people. I think it's starting in uh, – they're working with DIY Mark. Mark Base, I think, have done uh, something. Mm. Uh, it seems to be picking up more in the uh, in the in, in the guitar side of things. Brainworks as well, I think, is a guitar product. So they're starting to kind of be picked up. But as again with all of these things, it's just really hard. I mean, there's got to be mm. like a, a critical a critical momentum, isn't there? Like you were saying about Juice, you know, and obviously it's got your cogs whirring to a degree, you know. At what point does it become something that you would then go, you know what, I think this would actually be something worth, because it's quite a diversion, I'd imagine, isn't it, Dave, to, to, to reroute your resources into something new? Oh, yeah. And we're always being asked, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's kind of certainly never a month goes by without somebody going, hey, I got this thing and it would be great for you if you did something for my thing. And there have been loads of meetings that we've had where you know, initially something looks like it's got potential and then it's usually funding related. It never really comes to fruition. There was a weird thing that was done on an arm. They were kind of doing it more for guitar based stuff. And we kind of met between here and their offices somewhere and had a nice pub lunch. And I don't know that all kind of, there's a lot of things that go off the boil. So, you know, from a developer's perspective, you really do have to pick and choose very carefully what you put your weight and particularly with us i mean we're minuscule very limited resources so it's like and most of our resources are spent kind of playing catch up with things we've done in the past to try and put into either newer formats or you know different goo or larger GUIs or you know stuff like that so it's uh, it's can yeah, i ask can i can, can a ask a question just from a complete lack of understanding of things if so with juice platform then if your plugins do work on juice platform it makes it a relatively straightforward process for it to be ported onto something like elk is that right is that is it sort of is it like the coat i suppose notionally from the sounds yes yes not certainly notionally from the sounds of this it sounded like Mm -hmm. that was really the aim so if not just elk but if lots of things if juice is becoming as you say more uh prevalent um is it in the best interests of like shins for everyone just to go okay let's just get on board the juice thing and just like advance it to the next stage uh i know it's a lot of work so i'm being kind of uh it's just very interesting yeah, i think it's very very interesting and that is that, happening that does be, right and that's right, certainly okay, that's to be happening cool. to a degree. But you also have to look at, you know, the companies. I mean, we know that Rolive are funded. 
And then you have to kind of look behind that because obviously if you put your weight and your resources behind something and then let's say the funding runs out or something happens and you know for us i don't know it's a very difficult it's a very different risk yeah yeah well on the risk yeah there is risk i think there's i mean there's obviously risk for any developer but we like smaller niche things as opposed to piling on the band i think gaz's phrase was actually perfect there's dynamite in those hills he said as opposed to gold <laughs> yeah it's very true yeah it can be the case can be the case right well Thanks, I, I think i think maybe on that note we should we should wrap things up because it's uh it's been uh we we've, we've we've probably had a lot and it's been a pleasure having you aboard it's been great fun to have have you back dave always a, a pleasure i uh, just before we go i'm just going to say uh, don't forget you can win a copy of isotope ozone 8 uh we're looking for the tweet you need to be on twitter the uh, hashtag future of mastering one word and the hashtag ozone eight that's the number eight to at sonic state and at isotope inc that's the hashtag the future of hashtag future of mastering not the future of mastering uh and the hashtag ozone eight at sonic state at isotope inc and then you will be entered to win the competition for next week thank you very much so uh that's it for this time um it's Mr. Steve Hillier. Thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you. I look forward. I hope you. I think the snow's coming your way, so I don't know what it's going to be like tomorrow. I hope you can leave the house. It looks sunny, but that yeah, could just be it, it, could, shining off the snow. You can, you can just about see it from my window here. <laughs> oh well. It'll, it doesn't often snow that much near the coast. Anyway, I hope you have a great week. And if your travel plans, uh, they're not disrupted by any of this awful weather we're having. So nice to see you, Steve. Cheers. And also, Gaz Williams, thank you very much for joining us as well. Pleasure to have you. And uh, don't forget, you're doing your broadcast at 8 o'clock, which is your Neutron Part 2. Uh, 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 what's it called? Yes. It would be a, 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 a patch by committee. Patch by committee, yeah, because I mean, there's things I don't really understand on it, so it'd be really cool if people could help me out, you know. <laughs> so, yes, hopefully, it'd be a mutual thing. And what's that going to be, Facebook uh, yeah, or YouTube? About eight... YouTube, can I do it? Okay. Just, uh, so, if you go to my YouTube channel, um, then uh, I'm going to try and do that about eight o'clock. Hopefully, technically, all things go into plan. So, yes. Yeah, join Excellent. me. Big fan. All right, thank you very much. Thank I'll you. try and keep an eye on that. And also, Dave Spears, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your awesome 80s okay. photograph, which I think deserves just another <laughs> quick blast. Uh, and your story, much appreciated as 